Hey everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the Iowa Agronomy Update. Uh, we've uh, kind of had a little little delay, a little bit uh, uh, harvest delay here as we're a little bit behind schedule on getting a, a transitioned up to the northwest uh, part of the state. So we're welcoming uh, Jim McDermott and Brad Sherwood. Hey guys, how are we doing today? Uh, doing great. Thanks for having us. Good. How are you, Brad? Good. Hey, so we uh, so. We like I said, we apologize. We uh, we had this scheduled last week, and between trying to finish up plots and and get my own crop out and, and a lot of just final harvest, uh, we're we're finally here this week and and happy Thanksgiving week. And so, uh, in in the theme of Thanksgiving week, what a you know what are you guys thankful for agronomically here for this this season? Oh, does that silence well, I, mean anything? Is that supposed to? Yeah. 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 Brad, what do you, what are you thankful for? Uh, thankful that uh, 2018 is over with there, Brad. <laughs> well, Hey, that, that, that's kind of been the theme here for the, for your guys's corner of the state is we, uh, we kind of kicked this thing off up in your part of the world with, you know, rain and the, you know, beginning of the year and, and throughout the year and where, just been a, a constant set of, of curveballs here and so with that being said you know performance wise you know you know what um you know i'll just let you guys kind of go into your post-harvest uh kind of mode here and let 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 you guys kind of give us your 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 post-harvest uh year in review and then we'll just kind of transition from there uh throughout the throughout the podcast so i'll let you guys kick it off yeah, you bet, Brent. And, you know, we joke about it being a tough year and, of course, uh, the challenges that everybody's faced. But uh, you know, I guess that's where uh, our, our growers come in. You know, they go through a lot of tough years and especially this one. And, and uh, you know, we're thankful to have farmers to work with and thankful to have them as customers. Yeah. Um, you, you look at this year and there's certainly some good things to take away. And, and really from you know the area that we cover, going from north central Iowa uh, clear to the uh, western border of South Dakota, Nebraska. Uh, there were some really good areas too. So um, despite all the challenges, uh, ended up having some pretty good yields. And you know, obviously the, the areas with better yields came down to, they were able to generally get the crop planted a little bit earlier, um, have better drainage and, and avoid some of those six, eight inch rainfalls. So, you know, there wasn't too much mystery to, to some, uh, some of the areas that did better and, and why that was the case. But uh, that, that planting date was a big one. You know, very little early planted corn this year, but some of the growers that were able to get in end of April, first part of May, um, you know, they, they really were able to get that plant established, get the root system established and, and really have a little more time to allow that plant to take up nitrogen, take up nutrients, and also have a little more kernel depth uh, where the, some of the later planting dates, especially if we got uh, 17th, 18th of May or later on corn, I think we were a lot of time, so we're compromised as far as our planting conditions. We were getting wetter and we, we had to get the crop in the ground, but that uh, many cases led to a smaller root system, uh, led to that plant not really being able to uh, actively pull in our nutrients. And then a lot of times, uh, rushed us a little bit on the end of the season as far as kernel depth. So we did see some pretty di big differences 
uh, even just in three weeks planting date on corn this year. Did did you see any difference in stand uh, between those two different timings or not? Just overall stand counts or, or emergence counts or anything like that? Yeah, from my stand, or from my vantage point, uh, Brent, we really had uh, warm enough soils in May that we, we weren't too uh, compromised on those earlier planting dates. So as far as stand counts and population, um, we were generally uh, above average this year. So planting date didn't seem to affect the overall population from, from my stand, stand vantage point at least. Brad, how about your your synopsis? What uh, what the, your year kind of looked like there and year in review? Well, just like Jim said, you know, it was really variable. And where one product may have been struggling in one area because of the weather and the drainage and loss of nutrients, you couldn't you didn't have to go very far, and that same product was doing real well. And so it was just one of those real challenging years. And glad to get past it, but. You know, the thing I noticed, uh, planting date did come into play this year. The establishment of the root system was a big player. And come harvest time, we really started to see those sins of spring kind of come through in a lot of areas, a lot of fields, where the emergence may have been a little bit uneven. The count was there as far as population, but those late emergers didn't have the ear set or in some cases didn't even set an ear because of the uneven merchants. We saw a lot of that sidewall compaction, uh, you know, as the season got later and we pushed the envelope to try and get things planted. A lot of fields got work that, you know, maybe it would have been better to wait a day or two to let them dry a little more, but uh, calendar being what it was, we wanted to get the crop in. And so we saw some of those issues come up. And then of course, like Jim mentioned, you know, we had plenty of moisture and heat early in May. And we saw a lot of, of fields within thracnose and and other diseases out there this fall which in all likelihood those plants were infected early in the season and those warm moist conditions are prime conditions for a lot of those diseases that we tend to fight year in year out yeah so i think you know earlier on we talked a lot about those decisions that we were making you know late late april early may will will certainly affect us at this time of year, right? And so you mentioned sidewall compaction, you mentioned uh, the setting in, you know, a, you know, a lot of those things were determined at that May, June time, right? So uh, those decisions did play a huge factor, it sounds like, you guys part of the world. Yeah, and, you know, this year, there's some that have said, well, can we really even learn anything because what we learned this year or used this year may not to apply uh, to future years. And we hope we have different conditions for, for most of our growers to deal with. But I think there were a few learnings and um, really three that come to mind. One, uh, hybrids maturity selection. And uh, this year, again, with the later planting, we had a number of uh, growers that that had moved out of some of the hybrids that they had originally planned on planting and moved to some earlier numbers. Um, as a general rule, I would I would say that was probably not the right thing to do. Now, granted, we ended up with quite a few heat units, but most years with that later planted corn, we can make up uh, the heat units. And, and that really, I think, uh, 
in some cases, a limited top-end yield. So we generally saw some pretty good response to the full-season hybrid. So it's one thing, I guess, going forward. You know, If we're planning maybe even just two weeks later, uh, generally we don't need to change maturities. We can stay with that, that original hybrid that uh, we had planned. Uh, second thing, fungicide application, and then the nitrogen management and timing. Uh, so those those things, and we can get into the fungicide nitrogen here in a bit, but I think those are some things we can learn from this year and, and use going forward. Yeah. Yeah, Jim. Bring, go ahead. Go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. Jim brings up a good point, you know, and I've, I've always encouraged the uh, dealers and growers to look at the hybrids, but look at those GDUs to black layer. You know, if we look at DeKalb's 5797 and DeKalb's 5138, the 5797, which actually is 107 day, has fewer GDUs to 50% silt than does the 5138. So, like Jim said, changing from that full season to maybe a shorter season uh, doesn't really gain you some anything in some cases. And, you know, we saw that come through this year. Yeah, it, I think you guys both, both have mentioned it, right? It's just like, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of people out there asking, you know, what what can we learn from this year? And as much as you'd like to write off a year like this, you, you simply only get 40 to 50 of these in your lifetime. And, and let's face it, every year is a, is a new challenge. You know, we, we hope it won't be the same exact challenge next year, but... You know, I think we're willing to bet that there's going to be a challenge next year. There always is, right? In the economy world, there's there's always a challenge, and so we have to learn something from that. I'm glad to hear that, you know, that we've picked out, you know, the three things that you talked about, Jim. Of what did we learn? And those are good, right? So, you know, we're certainly thankful for those customers and you know, hanging in there and fighting through it and fighting through the tough year. And now, now we've got the information to share with. That's great, great information to have. But so, uh, you, you mentioned uh, some, Jim. You mentioned some fungicide nitrogen uh, type responses. What, uh, you know, what what were you seeing there? I guess, or what stuck out to you as a highlight there? Well, in, in uh, a lot of the work that we do across the state, uh, we we get a chance to look at hybrid response with fungicide applications uh, so not only just the overall fungicide but uh, breaking it out by hybrid and even by planting dates um, so there'll be a lot more data to come out on that but uh, there at, at your farm Brent and Huxley uh, you know really the hybrids range from no response up to 46 bushel response from a, a single uh, post-tassel fungicide application and uh, you know just unbelievable type response and at the time we probably wouldn't have guessed it because uh, at least in Northwest Iowa, at the time we were spraying fungicide post-tassel, we didn't necessarily have a lot of disease present. You know, there was a little bit of gray leaf spot, a little bit of uh, rust, but most of the disease came in late season, and especially some of the stock rots, of course, came in late season. So uh, not only the yield, but the standability advantage to fungicide on corn uh, was, was very evident. And certain hybrids, um, you know, a key product for us, uh, DKC 5008, uh, was was also a very good responder and in, in your data there in central Iowa showing a 43 bushel yield response. So uh, some individual hybrids really showed the ability to respond to fungicide. And uh, I think that's something 
again, going forward, um, we may not see the extremes like this year for response, but uh, we can pick out some hybrids that uh, next year uh, we should be planning on fungicide applications with those hybrids. Brad, Brad any highlights there on, on fungicide or, or on uh, your side of it or, or not? Well, like Jim said, I was seeing a lot of the same things. The 5008 responding well to fungicide, the 5138, you know, it was showing a 35 bushel advantage with the fungicides. Everything pretty much across the board in our lineup and in those hybrids that we really are our sweet spot, we're showing double digit response to fungicide applications this year. Yeah, and economically that that's kind of where we need to be, right? That that double digits, for, especially for, for corn uh, to, to get that ultimate return on investment but i think we always we always tend to look at the yield intrinsic value of that but jim you mentioned standability plant intactness a little bit of that you know what how do you put a value on that when it, when it comes to you know the amount of gdus that we had and how quickly these products are finished out but you know what what kind of value can you put on that website application for something like that yeah, and it's one thing uh, with um, trials that we call intactus trials that we're trying to address. Um, and and uh, those, again, were run across uh, several locations in the state. But uh, I know just up in the northwest part of the state with with our Storm Lake location, um, you know, certain products, if you're harvesting them a month later, the fungicide response was almost triple. In other words, mm -hmm. we're getting a 10 bushel response by a September harvest date. But if you push that back to late October, um, you'd see closer to a 30 bushel yield response from a fungicide application. So, you know, the economics are tight. We, we know that. And so we've got to make our decisions by hybrid, but also by farming operation. If we know there's some fields that are going to have to sit out there and be later in the harvest schedule, uh, boy, those are great candidates to make sure we're getting that fungicide application on post tassel. Yeah, I think the that late season standability intactness is is something that I mean, you didn't you didn't have to drive around the territories uh, I'm, I'm assuming this was true throughout much of your guys's territory as well but you didn't have to drive through much of the area and, and you could pin, pinpoint field by field what what got sprayed and what didn't and it didn't matter you know what genetics it was or not you could you could see right the row and field and it certainly as the months and weeks got later and later and we get into November, uh, those those deteriorated awful fast. So it's it, those are important things to start thinking about for next year as well. So you mentioned nitrogen response. So with all this all this moisture that we had, uh, you know, where you know, what did we see with all this? Where did the nitrogen go? Was timing a big, big factor in this? You know, would you know fall applied? You know, what what were the factors there in the nitrogen piece here that you stuck out to you guys? Yeah, and Brent, that could be a whole hour long podcast uh, discussing yeah. that. You know, especially this year. You know, obviously, wetter years when you have saturated soils, you can get lost to the air through denitrification and then leaching um, of that NO3 form. Uh, into the, the soil profile. So uh, you know, I'm sure we we're having some losses both ways. 
you know, I, I think uh, a lot of people would say that nitrogen uh, was our limiting factor this year and um, certainly varies by everybody's management situation. And the challenge was there's a lot of growers that wanted to side dress or, or get, have an in-season application and the, just the weather and the, the, the saturated soil did not allow that to happen. So in some cases we, we weren't able to manage like we wanted to, but uh, you know, we're certainly seeing, and again, back to some of your data at Huxley, some, some very good response. You know, uh, the average of several hybrids uh, in your trials there at, at the 160 pound application was giving us about 188 bushels. I jumped that application up to 230 pounds, and, and this was corn on soybeans. Then we were seeing uh, 216 bushel. Uh, so very good response from that additional nitrogen where normally you would think, oh boy, 160 pounds uh, would be enough in a corn-soy rotation. Um, so that's it, telling us that we certainly we had some, some loss and we, we were just not able to feed that plant late season to have some nitrogen available when that crop really needs it as it's filling out the uh, kernels. Yeah, and that, and that trial specifically had 17 inches of rain on it from basically the end of April till July 2nd. Certainly a huge, a huge factor in that, but it, it's neat. It was really neat to see though, you know, what, what hybrids you know, handle the low nitrogen rate the best and which ones handled the the two thirty and octave the most efficiently as well. So what what are those hybrids stuck out to you as, as handling the, the differences in the nitrogen rates? Well and again uh, fifty oh eight we mentioned that a, a time or two and that one showed one of the biggest differences from the low rate uh, 30 pounds up to 160 so a very quick response curve and that seems you know sometimes you look at one trial you kind of have to to look at uh, does that does that really tell you much information but when you start seeing trends and on that hybrid we did see the same thing last year so it looks like that particular product uh, is a responder to nitrogen um, some of our products over the years, like uh, 5438, 5356, I would say are very uh, efficient on nitrogen. In other words, they don't show as big a response. Um, you know, this year, anything we could do to split apply or, or you know, even using some of our stabilizers uh, did help. Uh, maybe wasn't always making the, the, the big difference, but uh, definitely those split applications in a year like this uh, are, are going to pay off. So certainly something to keep in mind especially as we continue to raise that yield level higher you know if we're sitting at 180 bushel yield level then maybe split applying nitrogen isn't the the biggest factor as far as return on investment but if, if we're consistently in that 220 or higher uh, then i think that that corn plant is is going to need nitrogen available later season and our our split applications are certainly going to pay off yeah, it, it's certainly something that we, we saw a lot of here in our, in our data this year with that, that amount of moisture and that time frame. Uh, multiple different trials, whether it was our FFA um, fantasy farming trial or our high yield stair step trial or even the, the hybrid by nitrogen response trial. Um, every single one of those, you know, nitrogen was the biggest factor in in, in high yield um, 
you know, it, it certainly was was the the biggest factor in our data this year. And and you could you can debate the double digit. You know, like I said, this could be an hour long debating fungicide versus nitrogen, or just nitrogen and just fungicide. Uh, but certainly, nitrogen was a bigger factor here, even versus fungicide, even with double digit factors. So, what? Um, I know you guys mentioned a lot about 5008. What else? Uh, what else in that part of the world? I know we saw some good results out of 5797 down uh, here at Huxley. Is that something that you guys are, are looking at more? Uh, your part of the world is a fuller season product, or how does that that play in part of the world? Brad? Well, in, in my neck of the woods, yes, it's definitely become a, a real player, and it really gives us some diversity. You know, interestingly, if you look at the nitrogen response data that, that you had in your trial there, and I find it really interesting where the wet conditions this year, I look at 49.72, the 51.38, those hybrids that have more of that penetrating root was able to go deeper and kind of keep after that nitrogen. We saw, you know, significant response difference in the plot or trials, but we also saw that out in the field. And next year, like Jim alluded to earlier, you really don't know what you're going to get for weather. And we've really got a really good portfolio as far as having diversity between that penetrating root and, and something that's more of a modified root with a bigger sponge under it, so to speak. 5797 really performed pretty consistent and, and really well given the conditions we had across a, a large part of the area. And in my, my area, it actually came out on top and I have quite a number of my FTN plots. So. I like the fact we've got that diversity in there and as important as nitrogen is, you know, it, the consistent theme this year was well-drained and good fertility and we had better yields. You, you guys have both, you guys have both mentioned diversity, uh, depth, uh, in the, in the line there. What the, is there anything else in, in corn that, that we missed here before uh, before we transition over and, and start talking about the, the soybean crop? Well, you're exactly right on the depth, and, and that's really what we look at as a strength of the DeKalb portfolio is having some products that are stable, uh, workhorse type, um, 5438, um, even a 6067, products that have been around and been proven and then mixing in some of the products that uh, are a little bit newer usually a little more, more of a top end yield type product and so we're, we're real excited especially um, in the new products that we've got coming uh, 5474 for 104 days going to be a real nice fit especially on the the well-drained fields uh, 5553 for an overall wide scale adaptability type product uh, i think that's one's going to fit on a lot of different soil types and 5834 uh, and its uh, double pro counterpart, the 5835. Um, those three products in particular, as far as new ones in the lineup, we really are excited about and we're gonna see how they're gonna fit in, but uh, the yield data looks great on them so far this year. And uh, it'll be a nice addition to the portfolio to help add to the, uh, the diversity in the lineup. There, There is another, something I did wanna kind of pick your guys' brain about is kind of, response to, to population is that something that that 
did you guys see that response this year or, or not? Or did we, did we have enough curveballs and factors that did we kind of limit some of that response this year? Or, or what did you guys see in response to the population trends this year? Well, in my area, we did see a pretty significant response to population. And it kind of goes back to the conversation around nitrogen and the loss of nitrogen with higher populations made it a real change for some of those plants to finish off and we had great pollinating weather but then you look at harvest time we saw a lot of tip back in some cases and you know really that's that plants safety mechanism it's going to try and fill out that ear as best it can with what it has available and when it doesn't have quite enough you know then it's going to start to abort tip kernels and, and some of those things so population uh, i would say definitely played in in the final yield results we had this year yeah i would agree with brad and you know it was interesting at your study at huxley it wasn't showing a big response once you got above 36 32 to 36 on average there was a pretty good response but one thing too as we got higher those higher populations, um, you know, I agree with Brad, we really needed that additional fertility. And this year, like we talked with some of the uh, the lack of nitrogen available late season, I think that did hurt some of the, the extremely high populations. We just did not have enough nitrogen to finish that plant out and, of course, affect standability. So that was maybe a little bit different as compared to most years on what we tend to see on population response. And one thing I would throw in too, Brent, uh, We've seen a lot more products uh, that have been released from our breeding organization in the last few years that have some tremendous ear flex. Um, we've, we've got a mix of some that are that are fixed ear that uh, we've had in the lineup for a number of years, but it seems like the trend lately in, in our maturities have been some, some very good ear flex products. Uh, and in particular, uh, the uh, DKC 5474 and DKC 5553, uh, those two new products are gonna be some of the best on ear flex. So, so that's a that's a key point, especially if you know, we're watching our economics and, and keeping our planting rate toward the moderate side. Uh, then we want to watch for those products that uh, that have the good flex that we can drop them at say a 32 or 33 and still able to hit top end yields with that population. Yeah, it's something I did that did stick out on on our data here at Huxley on that uh, 5474. It handled. They handled all three populations uh, very well. So. Okay, let's let's tie a bow on the on the corn crop here for 2018. Let's let's transition into let's transition into the soybean uh, crop for the year. And uh, you know, same kind of theme. I know, Brad. I think we were trying to trying to schedule a podcast during planting. So well, should have been the end of it season but you know we were we were still planting beans in june a, a lot of beans in, towards the uh, beginning of june this year what uh, what's your overall thoughts there for this uh, year review on soybeans well overall i would have to say we we performed probably better than what a lot of people expected uh, to be honest uh, you know wet years uh, typically the old adage is beans don't like to have their feet wet and they were certainly wet plenty of the growing season but I, I'm real happy with the way the X9 class turned out um, saw some really good performance across some really challenging conditions which was very good to see and like the corn I think 
I'm I'm excited because I think we've got a really good balance in those just about each of those maturity zones between a more of a, a defensive type being and an offensive type being. So we've really got the opportunity to take advantage of both and manage risk and, and fit the, the variety to the environment that, that's going to be a best fit. Yeah, I would sure agree. And, and you know, you look at uh, beans this year, um, in some of the areas where we were the wettest, uh, beans surprised a lot of people and, and did better in relative comparison to the corn. Um, so some of that, I think, was the warm soils we had in May maybe reduced our SDS risk. As usually, if you figure as wet as we were going to be, our sudden death syndrome would really be a yield-limiting factor. But uh, you know, variety tolerance has gotten better, and, and maybe some Alevo seed treatments have helped that out as well. But uh, I agree with Brad, uh, we pretty pretty solid yields on soybeans uh, for, as, for as wet as we were overall. Uh, it, you know, we, we saw a lot of different things on soybeans, uh, planting dates. I was just uh, thinking in my head, I, I actually knew of people that planted beans in every month from April to August. And uh, don't have that happen too often, but uh, of course some of these wet holes, people were continuing to fill in wet holes and, and planted all the way through the first part of August. Uh, so with that, I will say that the trend on earlier planting beans, um, I think also responded. And, and again, we, we didn't get the opportunity to plant many beans in April, just like the corn in our part of the world. Uh, but I think one learning is going forward, if we have the chance, if a field is fit and maybe uh, we're not able to plant corn, boy, I, I sure wouldn't hesitate in, in putting some beans in the ground in that last week of April. Uh, we continue to see some pretty good response to those earlier planted soybeans uh, we seem to be early or forcing the flowering earlier and uh, spreading out that overall reproductive period. Uh, but uh, seeing some, some pretty good opportunity to, to plant soybeans early and uh, get a yield response. Yeah. So let's dive into some, some products here. You guys mentioned the X9 class. We've, we've kind of mentioned that in the Southern part of the performance podcast series, and that's the, that's the new class of soybeans that'll be out here uh, in 2019 uh, for our, our growers to uh, experience these new products. And so, you know, I'm just guessing here, you know, 20X7 is, you know, kind of been that, that, state, that stable uh, go-to product in that maturity group. But now you've got, you know, probably uh, what, four or five uh, new new compliments to, to look at to, to help alongside that. What uh, what stuck out in some of those uh, early X9 classes there to complement that 20X7 product? Well, in my neck of the woods, the, the 20X9s, 21X9s, and 22X9s really had a, a solid year for all the challenging conditions we had. And you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, you've got a, a good balance there. Uh, 21X9s uh, handled the IDC maybe a little better. We really didn't see a lot of that this year. Uh, we had plenty of moisture and heat, and we kind of powered through it. Saw a little flash for four or five days, and it was kind of gone. But, you know, we've got a, a good defensive beam there in that 22X9. So I'm really excited about some of the performance there. Then we've also got the 23X9, which had a good year, and that brings the Peking soybean sister resistance with it. So 
I would have to say, you know, in the, the early twos, early to mid twos were really, really looking good uh, as far as what the portfolio has to bring. Yeah, I'd sure agree with Brad. Uh, and, and not only on yield, you know, this X9 class has really stepped up the, the yield compared to the extend beans that we've had out the last couple of years. But the overall disease tolerance, um, white mold tolerance, SDS, uh, Brad mentioned the IDC, uh, and then even standability. Um, really, those key factors that we're looking for in soybeans have all improved uh, dramatically with this X9 class. So we're pretty excited to see that uh, these varieties go out. Um, I know to the western part of uh, northwest Iowa, that, that 20X9 especially, we're very excited about. Uh, we see that as having a, a nice wide-scale fit. and uh, Definitely a variety we're going to lean on for next year. What about... Uh... Anything moving a little bit later? What's you know? What are some? What's a fuller season option for for you guys? You start? Are you start talking uh, like a two four two five or probably maybe over towards the river? River, you're talking probably late group two maybe, or you get into some uh, late early group threes over there by the river or not? Well, you know the the trend is. is certainly been moving a little bit earlier and we, we don't see uh, a lot of growers that are they're looking at that 27 to 29 as much as we used to um, I think some of it is if we're using fungicide uh, that's pushing maturity back or if we're spraying uh, a burner product uh, that that delays that maturity as well so sometimes uh, those later maturity beans are, are starting to fall out of favor um, a lot of the area that I cover, uh, you get to a 2.6, uh, 26X8, and that's been one of the most versatile beans in the lineup. Um, that's that's starting to be about as full season as what some people want to go. Um, we do have some that are jumping to a 2.9. We've got the new 29X9, which really had a great year. Uh, so somebody, somebody that's looking that late, that's going to be a go-to bean. But um, uh, we've got a lot, a lot of them in the, that mid-group, too, that feel like that's about as full as the season as they want to go. Yeah, the the twenty nine X nine certainly certainly been a standout product uh, in the Southern Iowa uh, series that we talked a lot about. So certainly uh, look to be a, a standout product to, to move into a fuller season option there. So what else? Uh, what else? What other trends stuck out? Anything that, that we learned uh, that that paid off? Uh, fungicide again? You know, something that I know. I know our uh, counterpart there in, in Storm Lake has has always had great data on fungicide on soybeans. Uh, always showed a good economic return. Is that something that we saw again this year or, or not? Well, it seems like the fungicide on soybeans there there certainly was a response, not as dramatic as corn. You know, uh, it seems like the soybean response has always been a little bit more st stable. Um, saw a lot of three to five bushel responses, which is, is still uh, economic. But uh, we, we didn't see the, the big you know, eight to ten bushel like we have in some years. Um, we did see a lot of anthracnose come in soybeans even, which is you know, a little more common to corn. But we saw anthracnose come in late season. And I think that was a big advantage on the fungicide if we were if we were spraying, we were able to keep that anthracnose uh, uh, off those plants late season. And, and as late as some of those beans had to sit, sit through that three week of wet weather, uh, that really um, made a difference. Those fields that did get treated, I think they, they 
were allowed to stay a lot healthier and, and helped out um, even on some seed quality issues. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a good point there on, on seed quality. We, we talked a little bit about that in our first one in southeast Iowa. So, uh, but, but certainly that, that seed quality kind of, kind of went away after we got got going again and, and kind of dried out a little bit so any any last closing comments I know I know Brad we kind of joked at the beginning about thankful thankful that it's over but we're also Jim mentioned also thankful for our customers who are certainly you know been a tough year uh, you know economic wise it's it's kind of just uh, on you know we're, it's all it's all a fight right now, and, and we're certainly thankful for those guys that that keep putting up the good fight and and uh, really uh, you know hang with us and 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 really you know we're certainly a lot to learn in years like this, and we're gonna keep really keep looking at data here for another another month and a half and start to work on new new things that we learned and new protocols for next year. So. Uh, any last closing comments from either of you guys? Well, you hit the nail on the head, Brent. You know, it was a tough year. We certainly appreciate all the support from the customer base and the dealer base. And we look forward to next year. One thing that we've talked about uh, earlier is even though it was a tough year, you learn things about products that maybe you wouldn't see in a quote unquote normal year. Uh, hybrids really responding to nitrogen, really responding to fungicide, those types of things. So I think one thing to to leave as we close down here is now is really a great time for growers and dealers and to sit down together and really evaluate the entire season. What worked? What didn't work? Where do they think they may need to make some changes in, in the way they manage the crop as they get into next year? And like you said earlier, you know, each year is a little different and so i think take what we can learn from from a tough year from this year and factor that into the plans for next year yeah that's a great point brad and uh i just like to echo echo the thanks to to our dealers and customers and uh thank you brent for for uh hosting these always uh have fun doing them and yeah hopefully you do too yeah, uh, it's uh it's fun to to kind of jump around the state here and, and see what's see what's going on and uh, you know and as much as a challenge it's been uh, I think you know I'm sure there'll be challenges again next year but it'll be and that's that's what's always neat about uh, agronomics is that there's always there's always an answer and we're just gonna do everything we can to try and find it so appreciate appreciate what you guys to do for, for that and, and all the work that you've done here in the last week and a half, I'm sure on a lot of your post harvest meetings on, on getting your, your dealers up to speed with what's, what's gone on in the year. And, and, you know, we, it, it's almost hard to imagine what you guys, you know, we, we break this down as, you know, let's say a Northwest Iowa podcast, right. And you guys each cover half of that territory, but, even within your territories, how many regions you, you know, you can talk about, uh, you know, there, there's, you probably each have 10 to 12 different regions within your, your counties of, of the, the different environments that you guys have to deal with and what those environments led to different results and, and characteristics and, and what have you. So certainly, 
takes a lot of information and a lot of a lot of experience here from you guys to get through that and certainly appreciate all that you guys so keep up the good fight uh we'll be we'll be probably joining us again maybe in december and maybe uh maybe have some new products to talk about by then and and uh we'll uh maybe have some more more data to dig into and and go for that so appreciate you guys thanks a lot and and, and have a happy thanksgiving you too. Thanks, thank, thank you. Thanks, Brad. Take care. You bet. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You bet. And, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving, and we'll be we'll be back next week with a post Thanksgiving wrap up on our uh, Harvest uh, podcast performance series, and we'll we'll kind of end our our rotation here in Northeast Iowa. And we'll uh, have uh, Rich Judge and, and Nicole Steckline on. Uh, to help us through that. So uh, join us next week for that, and we'll wrap up that series, and we'll uh, uh, hear from you again. So thanks a lot, and we appreciate you guys listening.